Well, before, uh, before we move on into the sermon this morning, I uh, have a pretty cool opportunity. This is Leslie Geist, uh, and Leslie is uh, a missionary with Reach Global. She's going to be serving in Belgium uh, coming up here pretty soon, and she's going to tell you a little bit about, more about that this morning. Uh, Leslie is also our church's newest uh, supported missionary, and so we are in uh, ministry partnership with her. We're super excited for her to go. She's been hanging out at the church here for a while and, and making great friends w- with us, and it's been a joy to get to know her. So we wanted to give her some time to tell you all about uh, who she is and what she's doing. So Leslie, take it away. Good morning, everyone. It's so exciting to finally be able to share with you this morning a little bit about what God is doing in Belgium. So as Sam said, my name is Leslie Geist, and I'm originally from the Wichita area, but now call Manhattan home, and I love that. Um, And later, hopefully later this spring or summer, I will be transitioning to Belgium. There should be a map that pops up here. How many of you would say you know where Belgium is or have an idea? Okay, so a lot of you. Great. So I'll just go sit down now. Um, Belgium is this yellow country here on the western coast of Europe. And I'm sure that some of you are asking, why is our church sending somebody to Belgium? Don't they have all those cathedrals? And didn't the Reformation happen next door in Germany 500 years ago? And to be honest, I had the exact same question when I first went to Belgium. I thought they were spiritually good to go and that there really wasn't a need there. But as I got there, I realized um, within a few weeks that these cathedrals, this one is specifically in Ghent, it's St. Baths. By the way, if you've heard of the Ghent altarpiece, this is where it is. I now realize as I show that picture. But um, these cathedrals are really nothing more than museums today. Um, less than 1% of Belgians would claim Christ and be active in a local fellowship. And per our church's or our team's estimate, we might even say that less than 0.1% of people are Christians. So if you think about that, I think my math is right here. If you have a group of 1,000 people, that would be 1 to 10 people that would claim Christ. So there is great need in this country. And so maybe your question is, okay, so if they're not Christian, what religion would they claim? They probably wouldn't even claim a religion. They're pretty agnostic, and they would say, well, I believe there's some higher power out there, but I think there's so much knowledge in the world that we can't actually know what that power is. And even if we did, what does that have to do with us today? They've learned that Jesus is a historical figure from 2,000 years ago, the Bible's some ancient literature, and um, they celebrate, as as a nation, they celebrate a lot of the Catholic holidays, but none of it is really relevant to them today, unfortunately. So, There is great need in this country, and our team uses a lot of different pathways, Um, so like ways to meet people and get to know them and build relationships so that we can share the gospel. So my teammates, this is them, Dwayne and Penny, this was at the airport right before I left. Um, I had spent two years in Belgium working with a sports ministry, and we look bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, but Dwayne and Penny Andrew, they've been there for 20 years, and they've done different ministry. Um, they've used different pathways, such as refugee ministry, local church support, pastoral care, discipleship, and when I go back, I'll be working with a local free church in the center of Ghent, right down the street from the castle, which is kind of cool, and I'll be working with students and young adults, helping disciple and shepherd them, um, and I'm really excited for it, but unfortunately, there's a not a lot of time this morning to share with you, so I'm going to plug an event next Wednesday, no, not Wednesday, Monday, the 28th at 7 o'clock. We'll be meeting in the venue to have um, more of a dis- like in-depth conversation about what ministry in Belgium looks like. Um, But for now, I'd love to invite you guys to be a part of this, first and foremost through prayer. And as you can see in this picture, there's like this gray overcast sky. And this exists not only physically, but spiritually in the country of Belgium. We say that there's just this dark cloud looming over the country, which makes ministry incredibly challenging. And, you know, it's really hard to see fruits. You have to be diligent to just to stick it out and follow the spirits leading and lean into that. Um, But I'd invite you to pray. Join us on the battle lines through your prayers and help push back the spiritual darkness that seems to physically exist in the country. And I send out a monthly newsletter, and I also have a Facebook group where I share updates so you can know specifically how to be praying. And I also have... um, Oh, I guess that's it. But I have a a sign-up sheet out in the foyer where you can sign up for that. And another option um, for partnership is financial partnership. So I recently crossed into 75% of monthly support. So almost there and hoping to launch soon. And it would be such an honor to have this church be the ones that push me to that finish line so that I can book the ticket to go. But yeah, if you have more questions or want more information, feel free to see me out in the foyer after the service.
Um, so yeah, we're really excited to be able to send Leslie in and partner with her. Uh, it's always really thrilling to be able to, yeah, to find people with the same kind of heart for reaching uh, those that are, that are either unchurched or spiritually lost. Um, but it's also really exciting. Leslie is going with Reach Global, which is actually the E-Free Church's uh, missions agency. And so it's exciting to be able to partner with, uh, with our larger denominations, um, you know, hope of, of sending missionaries out into the world as well. Again, just wanted, wanted to, to say it again, Monday, February 28th from 7 to 8 p.m. here at the church in the venue. There will be a chance to meet with Leslie and she'll be able to go into more depth about what her ministry is, what it looks like. Um, I think she's going to try to bring waffles. Yeah, there's, there's going to be Belgian waffles, like actual she knows how to make them. Um, so uh, if that sounds awesome, come get some waffles and then hear about more about her stories and her work. Um, there's a, you can register for that event. There's a, you can find it in your e-blast and you can uh, find it on the Church Center app. We'll, have some, you know, we'll, we'll be able to share it out through our social media pages over here in the next week. The big thing is there is child care for zero through pre-K, uh, but you've got to register so we know how many kids are coming, so we know how many child care workers to, to be able to have. Um, so if you'd li- like to come to that event, Monday, February 28th, 7 to 8 p.m., we'd love to see you there. Uh, for, now, for now, I'd love to pray for Leslie and pray for us as we move uh, into our time with the Word. Heavenly Father, uh, you are so good. You are so uh, incredibly wondrous to be invite us to something like missions, to uh, open up doors and open up pathways for us to join you in your work in the world of telling people about Jesus and telling them that there is hope, uh, that there is forgiveness, and that there is salvation uh, in the name the life and the, the, the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. And we thank you for Leslie. We thank you for all the ways that you clearly uh, have, have encouraged her and, and brought her to this position of being able to be sent uh, to Belgium to, to help those teams and to connect with those people. As she, over the next few weeks and months, as she looks toward finishing up her prep time and moving toward her, her sending time, uh, Lord, I just pray that you, uh, yeah, that you, you make pathways to get her the connections that she needs, whether that be for partners in prayer, par- partners with uh, the, the, the last little bit of finances that she needs to raise, Lord. Uh, just please bless Leslie with all the faithfulness and all the preparation that she needs to be ready to be sent and sent well. Um, and Lord, it's an honor to be a church that gets to partner with her, so please help us best understand how we can be the best partner for Leslie that, that our church can be. Lord, as we, as we turn our attention to your word and your teachings on prayer, uh, we would just ask that you open our minds and our hearts to whatever lessons we need to learn this morning so that we can uh, learn better to seek you uh, through this awesome, awesome opportunity we have to communicate with you in prayer. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks, Leslie. <clears throat> Um, Well, I want to begin by reading our our passage this morning. It'll be from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Again, that's Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. I'd love to invite those uh, who are able to stand and and join me as I read read the word this morning. So again, this is coming from uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. And there it says, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Lead us not into temptation. And then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg... Will you give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those 
who ask him. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, uh, over the past few weeks, uh, we have challenged everyone to consider three important commitments, three uh, critically important commitments to your life. And that has been to decide that you will seek God, decide how you will seek God, and decide why you will seek God. Now, deciding that you will seek God and why you will seek God are, are deeply personal decisions to make. We believe that there is nothing more important in this life than saying yes to God's invitation to follow him. And we know that every day we are presented with new challenges and difficult circumstances that lead us to consider things like, why should I seek God in relation to this issue or this relationship or this opportunity? And and what does it even mean to, to seek God? What would it look like to work out this why of seeking God in my life? In an effort to help you discern the why of how you will seek God, we've committed these last few weeks to to teachings, to considering how we seek God. We've looked at seeking God through the word and seen the importance of refining our wisdom by the truth found in the pages of our Bibles. And last week, Pastor Steve challenged us to consider seeking God through the practice of fasting, which can be an effective and satisfying way of seeking out and growing closer to God. This week, Today, we will consider how to seek God through our prayers. Now, of all of the practices we've talked about over these last few weeks, prayer might be the one that people are the most familiar with or might have the most experience with. Year after year, various research agencies come out with statistics that tell us that most adult Americans would report that they pray to something or someone daily uh, over 50% of adult Americans say that they pray to something or someone daily, while only, well, less than 25% would say that they, they really don't have any experience with prayer at all. Prayers can be short or they can be very, very long. They can be rigidly recited or flexibly relaxed. They can be said out loud or kept in silence. They can be lifted up in the privacy of a prayer room or whispered over, the sna- over a snack in the break room of your office. As Christians, we believe prayer is something intimate and sacred. It's a privilege to be able to speak to God and be assured that he listens, and not only that he listens, but that he is delighted to hear from us and that he has a desire to answer our prayers with provision and blessing. Still, even with assurances like this, it's pretty normal to wonder, okay, I I get that I can pray and then probably that I should pray, But what should my prayers be like? How am I supposed to talk to God? Jesus offers some very practical answers to that exact question in our passage this morning. In Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, Jesus provides his disciples with some guidance on the basics of prayer. He gives them a framework for what the contents of their prayers might look like, and we'll see that in verses 1 through 4. But he doesn't stop there. He also reminds them that prayer is not just about what we say. Jesus teaches us that our prayers are to go beyond content and we must pay attention to the faith we have and the confidence we have behind the one we are praying to. We have to remember who it is that we lift these prayers to. Jesus teaches us that we ought to pray with purpose and with shameless boldness before God our Father who loves us. We're to pray with purpose and with shameless boldness before God, our Father, who loves us. So first, let's take a look at this idea of praying with purpose. What does it mean to pray with purpose? Well, our passage begins with a disciple asking Jesus a very good question. He he says, Jesus, please, can you teach us how to pray? All four gospel writers, all four of the writers who who wrote down what happened during Jesus' life and time here on earth, make it very clear that Jesus prayed, and he prayed a lot. Right? He would pray before doing miracles. He would pray in the middle of sermons. He'd pray before meals, after meals, during meals. He'd pray while surrounded by crowds. He would walk off to, to, to solitarily and lonely places to pray. So someone, one of his disciples, finally correctly identifies, you know what, this, this Jesus guy seems to have prayer figured out. Maybe we should ask him if he can give us some tips on, on, on how to do this thing. So they go forward, they say, Jesus, please teach us how to pray. And Jesus clearly approves because he jumps right in and he says, all right, here's what what we're going to do. Here's how you're going to pray. You're going to start out by addressing God as Father. 
And that invitation to speak to God as Father impacts everything about what we do when we pray. By giving his followers permission to pray to God as Father, Jesus is telling you that everything you say and ask for and confess within your prayer is offered up to God, is offered up to a God, the God who cares about you. Everything you say in prayer is offered up to a God who cares about you. You cannot miss the importance of this address. If God is a father to us, not just an earthly father who on, on his best days are still mixed up with, is still mixed up with failure and sin and shortcomings, but instead is a perfect and good and loving father, then we don't have to impress him with our prayers. We don't have to convince him to listen to us. Our words are not magic incantations that, that have the power to, to make God do something, to have the power to move him into action. That God is a father to us means that we are having an intimate conversation with someone who wants to hear from us, who wants us to seek him. We pray to the father who loves us and wants us and wants to help us as much as he can. Nothing in our prayer Nothing in the prayer that follows that he continues to teach requires eloquence. There is no need for superior intelligence or cleverly worded requests. You bring yourself, you bring your faith, strong or weak as it is, and you trust that when you say, Father, that his reply back will always be, yes, my son, or yes, my daughter. I am here, and I am listening. And I know that the relationship of a father is a difficult one, can be a complicated one, and for some of us, may not always be associated with, with happy or even safe memories. And if that is the case for you, then I would encourage you, in this instance, to look through the Bible and see how God describes himself as a father. See how he define, what he defines for himself, what it means for him to be a father. If you want to know how to study this, I'd love for you to reach out to me or, or, or contact one of the pastors for some guidance on this, because ultimately, I do not want you to miss that God tells us that to him to be a father is something of tremendous love and faithfulness. That's the standard he holds himself to. And I wouldn't want you to miss out on the profound beauty and opportunity of being able to call out to him in this way. The elements of prayer that come after our invitation to address God as Father, they are a guide, they're a framework, they're a template of the sort of things that could be good to include in our prayers. And this is important because I do not believe that what Jesus is trying to teach is a rigid, rote memory prayer that must be recited exactly as it's written in order for it to be effective or for it to be heard by God. For one thing, the prayers that we have here are just the, the prayer that we have here is just a little bit different than the same kind of Lord's Prayer that we see recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Additionally, we can find all sorts of prayers from, from Jesus and from his disciples, from the later apostles and members of the early church. We could find all sorts of prayers that look different than this one, that that, that address different issues and, and different ideas than this one that we have here. And the Apostle Paul even eventually tells us that sometimes we won't know what to pray at all, but that we can trust that the Holy Spirit will speak for us on our behalf. And all of that is okay, right? There's no need to panic over the flexibility that's found within prayer. And for all of those, all of those here that are, that are my rule followers, I promise you, I promise you, take some deep breaths, it's okay to see this kind of flexibility in prayer. And in fact, there's a lot of grace uh, and, and invitation in how to pray to God. I think what we see Jesus trying to teach us here in this prayer is that there are two pillars or maybe some guardrails that are good to remember as we approach God in prayer. The first is that it is always good to begin our prayers with praise for our Father and, and aligning ourselves with His interests first. All right, it's always good to begin our prayers with praise for our Father so that we can align ourselves with His interests first. And then... Once our hearts are, are centered and settled on God, then we can bring forth our needs, our petitions, our provisions, our confessions. We can bring to him the things that we need, feel like we need to tell him and ask him for. All right, so we have this one guardrail of you want to you set your heart on, on, on God himself and praise him and make sure that you're centered on, on what his interests are, and then you can bring in the things that, that you need. So Jesus said, Father, 
hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We are instructed to begin our prayers by declaring that God and his name, they are to be hallowed. He is holy. He is set apart. He is incomprehensibly glorious and worthy, oh, so worthy of being praised. We begin by humbling ourselves before the Lord of glory, the greatest being in the universe, the unrivaled and incomparable God. This gets us into the right state of mind. Whether we come to God full of joy or whether we come to him weeping with sorrow or whether it's just a normal day where where everything is kind of okay, we acknowledge that in prayer we approach the throne of God and speak to him with a balance of childlike wonder and a deep soul-penetrating reverence for who he is. And while it is true and good that we often pray in order to bring our needs before God, it is always good to slow down and remember his purposes before our own. Your kingdom come, that no matter what I may, may need today, my greatest need is to see the full reign of God drawing ever nearer to this world. When you pray your kingdom come, you are praying for the return of Jesus. We pray for the elimination and destruction of evil. We pray to see all that is good and beautiful and resurrected flourish forever. Now, I will freely confess to you that I all too often speed through the beginning of my prayers. I think little of the majesty of the one that I'm speaking to and instead get too caught up and focused on getting my list of needs or or more often than not my list of wants out in the open and addressed as soon as possible. I make prayer a tool to get me mine instead of an opportunity to talk closely and lovingly and purposefully with the Almighty. If we're going to seek God through our prayers, then we must first set our hearts and our minds upon the purposes and the glory and the praiseworthiness of God. So I'd encourage you all to consider, when you pray... Do you take the time to remember and revere the one you are praying to? Do you leave space to be blown away by the fact that God the Father, God of all creation, listens to you as you speak? Are you humble or assuming before him? Do you pray for his interest or for his kingdom or only for your own? After we set our minds and our hearts on, the right, on this right kind of attitude, Jesus tells us that we should then go and let God know of our needs. Right, in verse 3, he says very simply, Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, I don't want to make too much or too little of any of these requests, but they are, they are fairly straightforward. He just kind of lays them out there. Yes, we are to seek God for the provision of our daily needs. And now, this is not a demand for abundance. We are not forwarding God our Amazon wish list when we say, God, please give us our daily bread. With this request, we remind ourselves that all of our needs, everything we have, everything we need, is is an extension of God's gifts and his grace. Our fundamental needs, physical, emotional, and spiritual, must every day be sustained by the goodness and the generosity of our Father. Everything we have is from the Lord. Yes, we must ask God for forgiveness for our daily sins. Not a day goes by where we don't need to seek forgiveness for the ways that we fall short in faithfulness. I don't do what I should do, and I do what I shouldn't do. And I need the daily's, the, all of God's daily mercies and the power of Christ's death on the cross to make me clean and set me right again. And yes, in recognition and reflection on the forgiveness that we receive from God, we must also seek to forgive others. Not only because, do, not because doing so uh, somehow earns our forgiveness, that's not what's being said here, but because we are followers of Jesus. Jesus does not hold the wrongs we've done to him against us. And so by, by what we learn from Christ, we are not to hold the wrongs done against us, against other people. That's the freedom we have in order to be able to forgive those who have sinned against us. 
as we receive mercy, we also give mercy. And yes, we need blessing and strength. We need blessing and strength from God to avoid future sins by being led down the path of temptation. Now, I don't believe that there is any risk of God being the one who leads us into temptation. I don't think that's what's being said here. He is a good father who does not wish to see us fall into evil. Instead, this prayer admits that all too often we choose our own paths and charge headlong into situations that lead us to sin. And so we cry out to God and say, please open our eyes and show us the path that you're leading us down. Not one to temptation, but one to obedience and to righteousness. I do not think that Jesus taught us this prayer with the intent that this be the exact and the only way that we pray. I think he wanted to help us understand what we could pray for, what we should pray for, and how we can bring purpose into our prayers. We don't need to fill our prayers with meaningless catchphrases or rambling. We need to bring our needs before God. Be your raw and vulnerable and insufficient self. This is not a time to try to fool God into thinking that you're mostly okay on your own and that if he could just spot you a quick blessing or two, then you'll be all right to move on uh, on your own. Because the real truth of the matter is, is that you are not okay on your own. You need this daily communication with God. You need these words to matter. So don't go into prayer like it's a hobby or small talk or some silly little ritual. We need to pray like we need it. We need to pray as if the breath in our lungs may fail if we don't use our words to call out to our creator. We need to pray with purpose. But that is not all. See, Jesus could have ended his lesson right there, but prayer is not just about content. It's also about having faithful confidence in the one that we are praying to. And to make this clear, Jesus tells a story. All right, he says, suppose someone shows up at your house in the middle of the night. And it may be helpful to, to remember that at, at the time that Jesus is telling the story, the original audience that he's telling the story to, um, your, your hospitality was a critical cultural value, right? Your reputation was directly linked to your, your ability to be kind to your community. So this, that, that kind of helps set up why this is such a big deal in this story. So this guy comes, <clears throat> has a visitor come in the middle of the night, and, uh, and you welcome them, and you start to help them settle in, but then you realize, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is not awake yet. There we go. So you have a visitor come in the middle of the night, and you, and you start to help him settle in, and then you realize, oh my gosh, I have no food to give this, to give this person. So you run, run across the street, and boom, 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 boom. You knock on your neighbor's door, and you say, hey, I, I really need to borrow some food right now. And your neighbor is understandably grumpy and, uh, about being woken up, and he's a little reluctant to help. He's already settled in for, at night with his family, and at this time, families would have slept on like the same mat, and so like all of his kids would have all been around, and they also would have brought in whatever livestock they have into the house, so there's going to be like goats and cows and chickens and things like that all over the room. So in order to get up and help you, he'd have to step all over everyone and push the cow to the side and get into the kitchen and see if there's any, any bread you know, sitting around anywhere that he could gather up to bring to you. And, and then he'd have to walk back over everybody. Remember, you can't just flip on a light, so he's moving around in the dark. And uh, by the time that he's gotten there and unlocked the door, there's no doubt that like, he would have woken up all the kids and have all his, all his animals bleeding and, and just, just this you know, crazy, chaotic situation. So the neighbor first replies, and it's a little bit of a lame excuse. He goes, uh, sorry, the door's locked. Which is not a great reason not to help somebody. But, but you're still out there, and you're still hitting it. Boom, boom, boom. I really, really need this. I have no other choice but to stand here and ask you for help. Now, I think Jesus made this story a little bit intentionally comedic, but he has an important point to make. Because he says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is a really incredible invitation from Jesus. He's telling you that it is okay to pound on God's door in your hour of need. 
to bring your shameless audacity, your shameless boldness, and boom, 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 let God know what's going on. Because God is not a grumpy neighbor who has to trip over goats and children and chickens in order to shove a few loaves of day-old bread into your hands. God is a father who, without, without us even fully understanding the depth of our need for it, sent Jesus, his son, to live among us, to walk among us, to teach us and to love us and to die for us, to be resurrected for us in order to save us and offer us the salvation we need to be with him forever. His daily gifts for our, he has daily gifts for our basic needs, but he has so much more. Because Jesus goes on to say, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Here at the close of Jesus' teaching on prayer, we return to the importance of who it is that we're praying to. Who are you seeking and who are you speaking to? If earthly fathers, sinful and flawed as we are, can figure out how to give good gifts to our children, then how much more will our perfect, flawless Father in heaven give not just good gifts, but the greatest gift of the Holy Spirit. Your deepest need, your greatest longing is already in the generous hands of your heavenly Father who waits on the other side of the door for your decision. I'm not trying to spiritualize this passage to mean that God isn't interested in meeting your very real physical needs. I absolutely believe that he is, and we, the church, are part of how that gets done. But there is one thing that those who have in this world cannot provide to those who have not. And that is this promise of forgiveness and the salvation of everlasting life in the kingdom to come. The good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, which we'll begin to think about here in a few weeks as we celebrate the, the, the arrival of Easter, is, is there for all of those who seek and knock. We pray with purpose and with shameless boldness before God, our Father, who loves us. He's waiting to respond. I uh, brought a photo here. It's a little fuzzy, but if you can, if you can see it, it's really cute, because that's my wife, Allison. And, uh, and with her is my uh, super beautiful, amazing, incredible little girl, Abigail. She's just, just shy of two years old now. And her tiny little hands are very adorably clasped in prayer there. I don't know if you can see that. Um, just about blew my heart into pieces when, the first time that she did it. And uh, so she's still working on building her vocabulary, but that doesn't stop her from letting me know each and every day what her needs are uh, pretty clearly. Uh, you know, she asks for snacks, she asks, asks for water, uh, she asks for the Netflix cartoon trash truck just about every three seconds. And uh, even though I am a sinful, flawed father, I still do my best to address every one of these needs the moment I hear it with a balance of giving her what she needs and what she's asked for and being sure she really actually needs what she's asked for and that it's good to pass on to her. Because I love her and more than I ever knew I'd be able to love someone, I look at that picture and I say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do all I can for you anytime you ask because you are my child. And if that's how God looks at us, If he looks down and and sees us as his small, beautiful, amazing, incredible little boys and girls with all our needs and all our flaws and all of our sins and still says, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do all I can for you because you are my children, then I get why he tells us to be shamelessly bold, pounding on his door in our hour of need. I get why it's okay to trust him and to rely on him and to boldly ask him for the satisfaction of our deepest needs, to seek him out above all others. Because we're invited to pray with purpose and with shameless boldness before our Father who loves us. Would you please pray with me now? Father God, praise and glory and wonder be to your name. And Lord, we do pray for your kingdom to come. We pray for the return, for the arrival of Christ. 
to make all things new. God, I ask that you give us each our daily bread. You know the needs of those gathered here this morning. You know the needs of those who are tuning in online. You know the needs, our deepest needs in our heart. And I pray that you would, in your generosity and your goodness, meet each and every one of those needs. Father, please forgive us of our sins. You know how deeply and how far afield that we've gone. But in your love, you can bring us back. And Father, give us the the courage, the bravery, the, the strength to forgive those who have sinned against us. And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but lead us down paths of righteousness that we may get to know you more and in knowing you more, have nothing but joy and and gratitude and, and love for a Father who does indeed love us. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.
to lead us in this prayer as a reminder that our gifts are an act of worship. And so if you've come prepared to give today, you can do so by placing your offering at the boxes at the back as you leave. Let's pray this prayer out loud as an act of worship this morning. As we come before God with our tithes and offerings, let us remember the words of Micah 6. What does the Lord require of us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God? Thus we bring our money, gifts, and whole lives as an offering to our God. Amen. Just as a quick reminder, if any of you were praying for a snack during the sermon, there's really tasty pancakes down that way, so go check it out. Uh, but now please receive this word as, a, as benediction. <clears throat> may the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness and protect you in the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in peace today. Amen.
Turning over tables and calling for return to our lives upon the altar, the things we did at first. You're clearing out the temple, you're cleaning up the dirt, for we are your territory, Lord, we are your church. We are your people, you are our God, we are your temple, make us holy like you are. To consecrate a chosen generation, a people called to pray. So help us, God, to please you. We're only you can see. For every moment matters in eternity. We are your people.
of wicked men you finally destroy your power will proclaim until Christ descends and you can't compare to your beauty. I just want to sit right here at your feet. Cause you're the only one that I long for. You're so Hallelujah, my soul sings. Hallelujah. 
Good morning. What a delight it is to see you all here in this fellowship as well as online. I am just delighted to see you and to have you here. We want to connect with you. Um, In front of you, you will find those connection cards. The reason we want to connect with you is we want to know your joys, your concerns, those things that we can celebrate with you as well as the things that we can lift up in prayer. So if you'll fill those out, then what do you do with them after you fill them out? There's a box in the back that you can place those connections in. It also is a way for you to be able to be connected for the Church Center app. If you haven't downloaded that onto your uh, device yet, do so so you can stay up to date with happenings uh, at the church. And if you have uh, already had that Church Center app, you would know that we're going to feed you today. Um, I hope you're hungry. Remember we told you that today our high school youth are having a pancake feed down in the venue, and it goes until 1 o'clock today. The reason those high schoolers are doing that, they're serving us today because they are going to be going to Ghana this summer in July as they serve and minister in Ghana. So we encourage you to be hungry to be hungry so that you can uh, go and support our high school as they are serving pancakes. And I believe there's sausage, too, and some juice and some coffee. So um, go down to the venue after this service. Now, if you'll stand with me as as we prepare our hearts for worship, I'm going to read Psalm 16, 5 through 8. 